You are listening to Radio Free Signs of the Times, broadcasting into the heart of an occupied America. Welcome to another Science of the Times podcast. My name is Dr. Gabriela Segura. I'm a health researcher for the Areolas Association, and I'm also a heart surgeon, but now I'm dedicated to alternative health research. I'm here tonight with great company. Uh, I'm uh, Doug DePasquale. Uh, I'm from Toronto, Canada. I'm a holistic nutritionist. Aloha. My name is uh, David Burt, and I have a small organic farm in Hawaii where we grow... Uh, number of diverse uh, vegetables and fruits. My name is Erica Whitbert, and I am also from Hawaii. Um, I work on researching organic agriculture and educating the public about the health risks of genetically modified food. So we see we're, we're going to have a very interesting podcast tonight. We're all SOT editors, and we publish regularly on the, on the health section of SOT and the Dot Connector magazine, and we're dedicated basically to publish important research that everybody needs to know regarding health matters nowadays. So Dave, Erica, I heard that you were on TV recently um, informing the people about genetically modified foods. What is genetically modified foods? Genetically modified food, or GMO, is uh, when they take a gene of, say, a spider or a human being, and they... Uh, splice it with the genes of a vegetable or a fruit. It's different than, uh, say, like a hybrid vegetable where you take, uh, say, two varieties of tomatoes and you cross-pollinate them, creating a third variety. Uh, the movie that we recently did was one of three that have been produced on a local television station called Olelo, and it's shown around the state of Hawaii. Um, originally, we started off with just basic education about biotechnology, which is corporations that make genetically modified organisms. We also did a movie about food safety and security. And the final one that we just did was um, the ABCs of GMOs opening Pandora's box in Hawaii. And we really wanted to stress the importance importance of people educating themselves about the safety issues associated with eating genetically modified food. Um, some of the safety issues um, are what they call uh, known unknowns. So, so basically the biotech companies are creating uh, these GMO products and they're very unstable. They have no idea what they're going to do once they're into the body or into the environment. There has been some preliminary research, like in animal studies, where it showed that genetically modified foods actually create organ damage. One of the first studies done was by uh, a Dr. Putza, and what they did was um, they took uh, ge genetically modified potatoes and they fed them to uh, rats. And um, what they found, in fact, um, the doctor was uh, actually pro-GMO. But after they started the research, they found that these uh, rats that were fed the uh, GMO potatoes, they started showing signs of smaller brains, uh, immune problems, uh, smaller hearts, smaller testicles. Um, the doctor was very uh, taken back by this. Um, and when he tried to publish his results, um, he was attacked uh, viciously by the biotech companies, and they basically ruined his career. Well, that's pretty shocking. And I heard also that you know, genetically modified foods can change the genetic information of the good bacteria in our guts, which is basically so important for our health, you know, having good bacteria in our gut. Yeah, that's, <clears throat> that's true. There are, um, you know, uh, studies that have been done that have found, it's particularly with the, uh, the types of uh, genetically modified um, corn and I believe soy as well, where these uh, these plants are um, actually they, they genetically engineered them so that they actually produce the uh, the pesticide Roundup um, within their genes. They're actually they're actually um, you know the DNA has been altered so that these plants are actually producing this pesticide. Um, so that you know the, the farmers don't then have to spray it or anything like that because it it actually is, is giving off this pesticide. But unfortunately, that means that we're eating this pesticide as well. Um, and because it's uh, altered at the genetic level. Um, that genetic material can then be carried over to bacteria in the gut. 
And um, then that uh, the bacteria, they've actually found that the bacteria um, then begins to start producing this insecticide as well or pesticide as well. And, um, you know, that, that then for, therefore you've got in your gut a little factory of pesticide production which uh, you can imagine doesn't have the best uh, effect on your health. Oh, pesticides, you know, they kill pests because <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> pesticides. Often they're, they're, they're like neurotoxic to the, to the pests, and, you know, it has the same sort of effects on us. Yeah, pesticides have been linked with Parkinson's disease because it's neurotoxic to the pests. Yeah. It's neurotoxic to our brains as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, what Doug is basically saying is true, but um, he... Uh, um, should have said herbicide instead of pesticide. Oh, right, so. herbicide. Sorry. Yeah, it's an herbicide. Uh, one thing, too, I wanted to mention uh, uh, about this genetically modified bacteria is another thing that it does, right, it uh, mutates into the soil, right? And I was listening to one es- expert speak, and he, he was saying that basically once this uh, genetically, genetically modified bacteria enters the soil and mutates, it takes over all the other natural bacterias, and they're saying basically of uh, about 10 years of growing GMO crops that this uh, bacteria will become dominant and irreplaceable. So if you're a conventional farmer who plants in this soil later on down the road, that now this uh, GMO bacteria can infect your vegetables and your crops, and they have no idea what it will do in the long term. Yeah, I think that's like one of the big important issues with uh, genetically modified uh uh, technology, like just the the, uh, the GMO technology, is that there are so many unknowns. They really, they just don't know what what this stuff is doing. You know, there can be mutations, there can be all kinds of um, mistakes made, um, and you know, it, once it's out in the environment and it starts, you know, intermingling with all the natural stuff that's out there, all these other different factors that we don't know about end up uh, coming into the mix. So it's really like we've just opening Pandora's box is really a good. Uh, description of, of what's going on here because we it, it's such a big unknown. We have no idea. What is being genetically modified nowadays, especially in the U.S.? Um, mostly in the U.S. right now, it's corn and uh, soybeans. And uh, about 80% of all processed foods that you would buy in the supermarket contain GMO. And they're not required to label uh, any GMO products. Yeah. In fact, if, if you're even labeling uh, non-GMO, they're coming under fire by the biotech companies. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the real issue is that um, companies that are do kind of have a conscience about this stuff and they know that, uh, that this stuff is bad, or at least they know that people are becoming more aware of it and that it's uh, affecting sales, um, who do label their products as non-GMO. And you can, you can find some products now that have a GMO with a slash through it that basically means they aren't using any uh, genetically modified uh, ingredients in their products. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're starting to, uh, to come under fire a bit, like Dave was saying. So you particularly see this with the R- RGBH um, in the States, which is the uh, genetically modified um, uh, bovine growth hormone that's being put um, in, you know, being used on cow- uh, dairy producing cows. And, uh, you know, some of the, the, Producers out there who aren't using this uh, this hormone um, want to label their milk as being free of this of this hormone, but uh, the FDA is uh, is is preventing them from doing that um, because they, according to them, it's no different, and to uh, to label it as different implies that it's better, and uh, the, the, according to them, that's not fair. Um, so, I mean, last time, I, I haven't been in the U.S. in a while, but last time I was there, you still could find that milk would say that it didn't use the uh, the genetically modified uh, growth hormone in it, but my understanding is that they're trying to to get rid of that um, that labeling. So then you really have no way of telling whether the milk you're buying has this uh, this genetically modified uh, hormone in it. Uh, one more thing I'd like to mention um, about the uh, process of making GMOs is um, basically when 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 they create these uh, GMO products, what they do is they um, they take like a microscopic uh, BB. I think it's a gold BB, and they might have changed it now. But they basically uh, blast it with about a 22 caliber blast. So what they're doing is blasting uh, these genes. Say, uh, you know, you take a spider gene and you blast it into a t- t- tomato. And what what happens is um, 
what they, they have in there is what is called a, a marker gene or an on and off gene. So basically what happens is it's Russian roulette with, with the genes. And uh, Jeffrey Smith, Dr. Jeffrey Smith, talked about this in his genetic roulette book about these on and off genes. When they enter the human body, they can turn certain genes on and off, meaning cancer or, or other sicknesses or allergies. And um, it's, it's definitely unknown. Yeah, it's, it's basically a total crapshoot. You know, they're firing these genes in there. Um, it may have the effect that they're looking for, but there could be any n other number of genes that end up getting turned off or turned on um, completely by accident. Um, so yeah, it really, it really is. They just, it's, it's, they, they want you to believe that it's a very precise science and that what they're doing is, is, you know, going to save the world and all this kind of stuff, but it's a very imprecise science. Um, it, it's, it's in its infancy and they don't really know what they're doing. And really, when you look at it with uh, the fact that they, you know, it's not labeled, it's being put out there in your supermarket, um, foods you're buying have this genetic modified material in it, you know, we're, we're one giant experiment. Um, you know, we don't know what this stuff is going to do to us. Um, despite the assurances from these big biotech companies, they, the tests they've run have been, you know, minor. Um, they really have not looked carefully into what this stuff is doing. So, um, yeah, it's like, you know, we're, welcome to the experiment because you're in it. Lab rats. Oh, God. Exactly. It's just astonishing how they can, they, can, they can get away with that. And what can, you know, what will be your recommendations to people, both you as organic farmers? How can we be basically genetically modified, foods-free? Well, the best thing that a consumer can do is become in, informed, know what you're eating. Um, uh, buy organic, get to know your local farmers, you know, have a relationship with them. That, that's the best way you can uh, be assured of what's in your food. There's also, um, again, Dr. Jeffrey Smith has a responsibletechnology.org website, and you can print up the non-GMO shopping guide where it has an extensive list of products that are not genetically modified. So when, as a consumer you can have what he calls the tipping point. So we can overcome these biotech companies by not supporting them with our dollars. If you know, based on the shopping guide, that there's a product that is, is GMO-free and it costs a little bit more, then spend your extra money voting that way to support these companies that are making a point to not use genetically modified organisms in their yeah. food. Vote with your dollar. That's the best. That's the you know the best way to get the message across. And what about this frankenfish that has been in the news lately? Yeah, that's that's something that's uh, it's up for approval right now um, in the states with the U, uh, the U.S. or sorry the FDA. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a genetically modified salmon. You know, it's getting nicknamed the frankenfish. That sounds pretty scary. Yeah, it is scary, <laughs> and you know it's a pretty appropriate title for that very reason because it is a scary thing. Um, what it basically is is they've uh, they've taken uh, the genes from other fish uh, to splice them into uh, a salmon, and uh, so it's it's the the genes from an ocean pout, which is kind of an eel-like fish, um, and uh, an another uh, type of salmon. They they splice these in together. And what they basically have is a fish that uh, grows twice as fast as um, a regular salmon. Um, so it reaches market. Instead of taking about three years to get to market, it's done in about a year and a half. So uh, realistically, this doesn't benefit anybody except for the uh, producers. You know, the the end consumer has uh, it gets no benefit from this whatsoever. And uh, you know, the the science that's behind it is all produced by the actual company that's um, producing this fish. It's uh, it's called Aqua Bounty, and um, you know, all the science that the FDA is reviewing on this have has all come from this this company so there's no independent research coming to it so i mean right there you can see um you know this is not objective um material that they're looking at and uh the the, the scientific material while it is kind of uh, some of it's kept uh, kind of under wraps um people who have reviewed it have uh have have, have basically said it's completely inadequate um they've not looked at uh, the dangers of uh, one of these salmons actually escaping into the uh, environment, you know, maybe uh, intermingling and interbreeding with the uh, the existing salmon. Um, they haven't, you know, 
there, there's another problem too that it looks like uh, the allergenicity of mm-hmm. this salmon. So in other words, uh, people who are allergic to uh, thin fish, um, you know, how they react to this salmon, um, it, there's, there's enough evidence to state that they will actually react more strongly to um, this genetically modified salmon. But, um, you know, Aquabounty has uh, stated that uh, it's statistically insignificant because they only tested it on six fish. And, um, you know, then they, they found a 20% rise in the allergenicity, but they said it's not statistically significant. Well, you know, how can it be statistically uh, significant when they only tested six fish? Hmm. So, I mean, you know, they're, they're just they're cutting corners left and right and basically just trying to slide this thing through. Now, luckily, um, people have become more aware of this. Um, I think because it's such a landmark thing, this will be the very first uh, s- genetically modified animal. Um, you know, we've had plants, uh, you know, genetically modified plants around for quite a while, but uh, this will be the first genetically modified animal for human consumption. So it's it's a landmark case, and uh, I think they were just hoping that they could slide it through, like they've slid through everything else, all the other genetically modified stuff. But um, people are are actually up in arms about this thing, uh, the salmon industry uh, for one, uh, because the FDA has already stated that they will not allow labeling mm. of the uh, genetically modified salmon. So uh, the salmon industry is obviously up in arms about this because their sales are going to suffer. You know, if you don't want, if you're trying to avoid genetically modified foods. And you know that some salmon is genetically modified. You know, I personally wouldn't take the risk. You know, that's it. Salmon's done. I'm not going to eat salmon anymore. Um, and there's a lot of people out there who feel that way as well. So, yeah, it's um, it, it could actually signal the death of the salmon industry if enough people um, are are fed up and just won't won't take the risk. <laughs> and again, going back to the consumer knowing if it's labeled that they're not going to buy the salmon because it's going to have on there yeah. that it's genetically modified. And as the word gets out and more people get educated about it, Aqua Bounty, I'm sure, has spent millions of dollars in this project and a lot of mm-hmm. energy, and they don't want people even looking at the difference between... They don't want losses. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's one of their ways of doing it. You know, they, they assume that a, you know, not very aware customer is just going to not think about it and buy the fish. Yeah. Yeah. What about the Envirapig that I heard? Oh, yeah. See, the thing, the thing about this, this salmon, it is such a landmark case. If this one um, comes through, then um, there's a very good chance that uh, future um, genetically modified animals for human consumption will, you know, it sets the precedent. So then, then more of these animals can come to market. And what they've been working on up in Canada, actually, in at Guelph University, they've been uh, uh, genetically modified a pig, and they're calling it Enviro Pig. Ironically enough, Jesus. you know, um, what they've basically done is genetically modified this pig so that it can break down uh, uh, phosphates better than uh, than you know a natural pig can. Um, because the uh, the problem with uh, when they they have these giant factory farms with uh, you know hundreds of thousands of pigs under one roof, the manure that's coming out of there um, is so great that it has a huge impact on the environment wherever they're dumping this stuff. So uh, one of the problems with that is the phosphates. You know, it leads to uh, kind of uh, algal blooms and stuff like that in in the waterways and like all this uh, you know. It's it's very polluting is basically what it is. So they've they've genetically modified this pig so that it, it has an enzyme that will break down these this you know um, phosphate matter so that it doesn't uh, have as great an impact on the environment. And you know they're they're trying to ins- to sell this basically as an, an environmentally friendly factory farmed pig, which you know the concept is ridiculous, of course. But um, you know they're 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 just taking the totally wrong tack on this. And I mean, they are with all genetically modified uh, stuff, you know, there, there's, there's better solutions to these problems that doesn't involve, you know, fiddling with the, with this science, you know, you know, like a, like a, a kid with a nuclear weapon or something like that. It's just like completely irresponsible. Um, so yeah, there's, there's this, this pig could very well be the second um, genetically modified animal that ends up on the market. If the, if this salmon ends up going through. And imagine what that would do to your health and wellness if you're eating a pig that doesn't that breaks down the phosphates or whatnot. Imagine what yeah. it would do to your digestive system. 
yes. and eat it. Yeah, absolutely. It comes back to the known unknowns. They really don't know what this is going to do to the environment. And now you're releasing this genetically modified manure or crap into the water. Who knows what it's going to uh, produce? What kind of you know genetically modified bacteria? I mean, they really don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Or more super weeds. What? Yeah. Can you, can you talk a little bit about the super weeds? Well, um, super weeds are uh, basically weeds that have become resistant to the Roundup Ready crops and some of these GMO crops that uh, have these herbicides into them. So as a farmer, as you grow these GMO crops, the weeds become more and more resistant, so you have to use more and more of the herbicides or the insects build up a resistance, so you have to use more and more, which just contaminates the environment more and more. It sounds very profitable for the ones who sell. Yes, <laughs> of course, uh, if you've got to keep buying more products from you know, the biotech companies, it just makes them richer and richer. And it also contaminates the water that people are drinking. And impoverishes the soil from nutrients. And it also, um, you know, the, the, the natural, um, you know, the, the animals in the environment that are used to, you know, feeding on this kind of stuff like, uh, you know, like bees or, you know, what, whatever else, insects, birds, those sorts of things, they're getting this genetically modified uh, stuff as well. And Dave, actually, you were telling me earlier about um, like some incident in India with uh, cattle grazing on cotton plants or something like that? Yeah, there's uh, some reports in India of um, livestock that uh, got into uh, GMO cotton fields, and I think it was cows in particular, um, but they were eating the uh, cotton, and they were dying very fast afterwards. And uh, it's still kind of a mystery, but um, we think it might be to the fact that uh, they're getting this GMO bacteria into their guts, and they're not able to process their food. So it, we, we still don't know. It's a... Once again, a uh, known unknown. Yeah, yeah, and there, I think there was like uh, Indian farmers committing suicides over this as well. And well, um, what seems to be the problem is uh, in India is the farmers have basically been tricked into buying this uh, GMO seed, right? Um, what do they call them? Uh, the, the Terminator seeds. So <laughs> they they can grow one generation of a crop from these GMO seeds, and then they have to. Uh, buy seeds again the next year from the uh, biotech companies. And um, so they're, they're basically being held hostage to buy their seeds. Uh, as a result, uh, the, the farmers are getting into debt. And they're getting so far into debt that they're committing suicide to um, avoid their families having to pay off uh, the debts that they owe to these biotech companies. And uh, Dr. Vandana Shiva, she was in the documentary The Corporation. She's done extensive research about this and has spoken um, a lot about it. And basically she's saying it's the new colonialism, that to the seed is, is the power of life. And her suggestion for many people is to start saving seeds, to, to keep a, a supply of seeds so as these biotech corporations take over and control food and therefore control the people, us as small farmers or even garden farmers or people who are just interested in having a collection of, of you know, heirloom seeds that, that they can pass on down generations. One thing I'd like to add, too, um, and kind of uh, relates to this, is uh, the fact that the biotech companies are using the propaganda that GMOs are required to, to feed the world, that they're going to save the world from hunger. But the reality is um, there's a lot of studies coming in now that show just the opposite, that actually food production is decreasing from the use of GMOs. By the way, The Corporation is a great documentary that everybody should watch because basically it portrays how corporations work and they, co and they make the comparison with a psychopathic personality. Yeah, these um, biotech corporations, and I won't name them by name, but uh, anyone who has half a brain would probably know. Um, some of the tactics they use are um, basically say you're growing uh, corn next to genetically modified corn. And their pollen goes into your corn and contaminates it. Now, by law, they have the rights to all your seed. Now, what they've been doing is hiring uh, private detectives. Um, even uh, Blackwater has been involved to uh, spy on activists against GMOs.
What is Blackwater for some of our listeners who don't know? Basically, Blackwater is a mercenary army that uh, has been in the news recently uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, where basically they run wild and they're not accountable to military uh, laws and rules. Oh, Private pretty, corporation. Yeah, sounds pretty criminal. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like these these companies are bad people. Like there's no there's no getting around that. It is like, you know, they they have um, they have an agenda. They want to completely control the food supply of the entire world, and they're not afraid to use any devious tactic they can possibly use. And you know, Dave is is a bit uh, hesitant to to name them, and I don't blame him a bit because. Uh, you know, people people do uh, get come under fire um, when when they do mention that sort of thing. Yeah, and just in the state where we live, these biotech companies are coming in and offering job incentives, and it's very hard as small organic farmers to fight against companies with so much money. And um, you know, one of the criticisms that we receive when we're trying to educate people about this is we're we're not supporting you know the economy of our state and really what's happening is because hawaii is so isolated it's a testing ground and they're not growing food to sell to people in hawaii or to even feed they are doing experimental crops they're doing experimental seeds that involve pharmacopoeia and um because Hawaii has four growing seasons, we can produce a mass amount of seeds that are shipped all throughout the U.S. One thing I'd just like to throw in there is uh, near where my farm is, there's one of these uh, biotech corporations, and um, you should see the way it's set up. It is like a prison. They have huge bob-wired fences. They have guards. Uh, even their uh, 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 trailers, their headquarters where um, their, their executives stay Executive, excuse me. Executive stay. Um, they uh, have bulletproof glass. So, Gee. W- you know, what's up with the bulletproof bulletproof glass? Excuse me. <laughs> and I'll, oh, I'll just add that uh, again. Um, Hawaii was an agriculture state for many years, and because of the warm climate and the four growing seasons people could produce food year-round. And now all the arid land that's available since Hawaii no longer grows sugarcane is being sold off in large tracts to these biotech companies. So small farmers who maybe only want an acre or two acres cannot compete on that market because there's no competing with a corporation that has millions of dollars at its dispense. Yeah. So, I mean, the only thing we can really do is is like refuse to buy this stuff. You know, if enough of us, it's like it's like Jeffrey Smith talks about the uh, the tipping point. You know, if enough of us are aware and enough of us are refusing to buy this stuff, then it will make a difference. You know, uh, food processors, when, they, when their sales start to go down because they might have genetically modified stuff in them, they'll stop doing it. You know, they'll stop using this stuff. So, you know, we got to hit them where it hurts, which is the, in the wallet. You know, you have to vote with your dollar. Yeah, recently the company Sara Lee stopped uh, producing their products with high fructose corn syrup because consumers were very concerned and they were writing and calling and they received enough negative publicity from it that they made an announcement that they would no longer produce their products, certain, I think it was two products in particular, made with high fructose corn syrup. And that's... Information is in the Dot Connector magazine. magazine. Yeah. Yes, that's that. That's great news. Um, you know, it's it's funny the high the high fructose corn syrup people are actually changing the name high fructose corn syrup. I, th- I believe they're changing it to corn sugar because you know people don't know what corn sugar is, but they know what high fructose corn syrup is. So <laughs> keep your eyes open for that. Speaking of the Dot Connector magazine, you wrote an article recently for the Dot Connector magazine about. Mm-hmm you know, the vegetarian hypotheses and saturated fats. Can mm-hmm. you talk us a little bit for those who cannot get the magazine? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, basically the premise of the article was that, uh, you know, um, more and more, uh, you know, healthy eating is kind of being associated with, um, you know, uh, not eating meat. So it's, it's, it's a meatless diet. You know, the, the health food 
um, movement is kind of going more and more towards vegetarianism. And um, basically, the, the article was just sort of questioning this. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of the politically correct thing to do uh, to not want to eat uh, animals. And, you know, it, it's understandable. You know, I think that, that people are kind of confronted with these these images of, uh, of factory farms where, you know, there's obvious suffering going on there and these animals are being treated, like, inhumanely. And they just want to completely uh, turn around and run in the opposite direction and they, they run to maybe a bit too far into, uh, you know, vegetarianism and veganism. But really um, w- what, what needs to be understood is that this is a, a moral decision and it is not necessarily the, the ideal diet for um, for human beings. So let's talk a little bit about what is a healthy diet. We all here have made changes in our diet and have benefited enormously, and we want to share a little bit about this. Um, Dave and Erica, can you can you talk a little bit about you know how your health has benefited from these dietary changes, and basically what were the dietary changes? Well, for me. Um I started with uh, getting rid of uh, all gluten products and dairy. And um, uh, before I did that, I had a, a very serious uh, acid reflux problem. And it uh, created uh, ulcers in my stomach. Um, the doctor wanted to do an operation. Um, but I didn't really want to do that. So um, I got off the uh, gluten and the dairy, and almost immediately the acid. In fact, I've never had acid reflux again as a result. And my energy levels have increased. Um, I feel like I was 18 again. That's pretty amazing. How about you, Eric? Um, yes, I was uh, suffering from severe migraine headaches. And again, you know, I was given the uh, suggestion to take migraine prescriptions and Tylenol and all these things. And I went to a naturopathic doctor who, again, suggested get off the gluten and the dairy and... I can say in the past three years, I have not suffered a migraine headache, and I realized how much the food was infecting my health. And people say, well, how could you get a migraine headache from something that you eat? And maybe Gabby can explain more about the the medical basis behind that. But I, I can tell you with children and a job, you, you have a migraine headache, you're debilitated. And if it was as easy as not having a piece of bread or eating that piece of cake, it was worth it. And, and I will never go back. <laughs> yes. Basically, the gist of it is that we as modern, as a modern society has based our diet in grains, in dairy. It constitutes the base of the food pyramid the nutrition, you know, the food, the recommended food pyramid. But it's important to take in, in, into consideration that this food pyramid is made by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. It's not really the U.S. Department of Nutrition or Health. Yeah. or So basically we're eating what it's being produced. It's not necessarily what is healthier for us. There is a great percentage of the population who is intolerant to gluten. And gluten basically is the protein in wheat, but in all grains as well. It it is what makes um, um, the how do you say batter <laughs> sticky. You know, viscous. It's, it's basically the sticky viscous part of, that makes a you know bread being you know so. It's basically the sticky part of the protein that makes it ideal to make certain breads and pastas, etc. And gluten intolerance has been linked with over 300 diseases, basically. Not only celiac disease, but, you know, basically numerous hundreds of diseases. And we have an interview with Dr. Peter Osborne from glutenfreesociety.org in the issue of Dot Connector magazine. And basically what he explains is this how gluten um, is uh, for those who are gluten intolerant, which is a great percentage of the population, is um, uh, gluten intolerance is behind, um, you know, so chronic diseases, chronic degenerative, degenerative diseases. Yeah. And it's also interested, interesting to, to, to see how dairy and gluten are very similar in the structure as well. And this is why 
us as researchers and uh, and our readers have benefited so much from eliminating these two products from their diets? Yeah, I think, um, you know, just from being a nutritionist, uh, from what I've seen as well, I mean, I personally have, have cut out uh, both gluten and dairy as well, as well as a few other things that weren't really working for me. And uh, I've seen remarkable improvements. But I think one of the important things to realize is that most people out there listening right now are probably thinking, oh, well, that's not me. You know, I don't have a gluten intolerance. I know I eat bread all the time and I'm fine. It makes up a good part of my diet. No. Um, but what people don't realize that it is, it's, it's a silent uh, killer. I mean, maybe not literally a killer, but a lot of people who are suffering from some kind of degenerative disease or even like, you know, just these minor nagging symptoms like, you know, psoriasis or eczema or like, you know, anything like irritable bowel, all these kinds of things could be because you are intolerant to uh, gluten or dairy. So um, I actually, um, I write for a, 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 a site, um, a, a health site called thatsfit.ca. I write a regular blog for them. And uh, on that blog over the summer, I did uh, uh, what I call the 30-day challenge where um, I just challenged readers to go 30 days without wheat, gluten, sugar, caffeine, uh, or alcohol. I think that I think that was all of them. Mm-hmm. And um, man, the reports coming back were unbelievable. Like people just talking about, I have so much more energy. I feel so much better. You know, this cleared up or that cleared up or whatever. Um, you know, there was one one uh, woman on there who uh, had been meaning to start jogging for a long time, but just you know, she'd get home from work and just be exhausted. And uh, she wrote to me, she's you know, after about one week on the diet, she was out there jogging like you know miles a day or something like that. I don't remember exactly how far it was, but but honestly, like you know, people people need to realize that uh, that you know this this stuff just really isn't suitable for um, the human diet. So you know it. It's all well and good to say, well, it's not me, but uh, until you really um, actually try eliminating this stuff for for an extended period of time, um, you just don't know. You have no way of knowing um, whether, you know, unless you are of perfect health, and I've never met anybody who is, so uh, <laughs> so um, unless you're of perfect health, it might be worth a try. That's a very important point because there is a strong scientific argument against gluten and also dairy. Yeah. And gluten, again, repeating, it's in all grains. Basically, the safe, the safe gluten-free products are only amaranth, buckwheat, quinoa, and wild rice. And they are pseudo-cereals. They are not cereals, and that's why they don't contain gluten. That's, that's an important point, actually, because it is a very wide misconception that, um, you know, that the gluten grains are only uh, wheat, barley, um, rye, uh, spelt and camut. Maybe there's a couple of others in there that I missed, but um, and that the rest of the grains are all fine, like corn and rice. Oh yeah, those are gluten free. It's no problem. But uh, in the most recent issue of Doc Connector, there's that interview with uh, Dr. Peter Osborne, mm-hmm. and uh, and he points out that actually all grains have gluten. It's it's a component of every grain. It's one of the things that makes a grain a grain is that it has gluten in it. Um, you know, it's a different type of gluten in every grain, and some of them. Um, you know, I think I think the 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 division that's in there that some grains are safe and some aren't is that you know celiac disease, which is only one manifestation of uh, gluten sensitivity, uh, seems to only manifest with those particular grains. But you know, gluten sensitivity could be uh, causing any number of problems, not just celiac disease, as uh, as uh, Dr. Segura was saying here, and. Um, uh, so, I mean, you, you might be having these silent effects to something like rice, you know, or to corn or mm-hmm. something like that. Like it's not, it's not necessarily uh, going to be blatant, um, you know, that, you, that you're reacting to this gluten. And many of the gluten-free products that are sold on the market now, as we've learned in our research, are based on products like corn. And yes. again, getting and back rice, to the yeah. genetically modified corn aspect has of gluten. corn. Yes, and a great percentage, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And I have some very good news for our listeners. We're going to publish Dr. Peter Osborne's interview as a podcast in SOT.net. So oh, stay in tune and you'll get a chance to listen to it. But then we go to the following question. So then what do we eat? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. If you <laughs> don't eat grains, you don't eat wheat, dairy, what do you eat? <laughs> Okay, so what do we eat? Buckwheat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, 
there's there's definitely um, uh, there's there's still a few grains like uh, like like was mentioned before. You know, uh, buckwheat, quinoa, um, amaranth, and um, uh, wild rice, right? And lots of organic vegetables. Yeah, very important. Lots of organic vegetables, very important. But um, you know, these 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 non grains, you know, these grain like seeds, um, you can use them to substitute quite for quite a few uh, quite a few things. Um, so you know, it's not it's not completely hopeless. <laughs> yes, with buckwheat flour, you can make blinis. There is quinoa pasta. There's buckwheat pasta. Basically, the blinis are like a substitute for bread. You can make little pizzas with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I make, um, you know, you can do buckwheat crips as well. Um, and then you can make wraps with those so you don't have to kiss sandwiches goodbye. I think that that's that's good for a lot of people out there who like their sandwiches. And we'll post a few links because we have cooking videos on how to make these foods. Yeah. So yeah. it's not all bad news. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, actually, you can make some really delicious uh, gluten-free, dairy-free recipes, um, um, even desserts. So mm-hmm. don't feel like you have to give up everything or give up the pleasure of eating. Yeah, we were we were just uh, before the podcast eating some uh, chocolate pudding made from uh, avocados and uh, cocoa powder. It was great. Yeah, it was really delicious. <laughs> delicious. <laughs> you, you don't feel deprived at all. I mean, it is. It is. It, there's no denying that it is a challenge. You know, we we're we're in a society that has based its entire diet around these harmful products. You know, like, uh, um, you know, wheat is is in almost everything that you find at the grocery store or in restaurants and all these kinds of things. It's 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 a difficult um, thing to do, but you know, if once you commit to it. And you uh, you kind of have to get over that hump of figuring out what can I eat. You know, you figure out some new recipes, you figure out some tricks, um, and you know you, you get yourself involved in a community of people who are who are trying to do these things as well. Um, and there's some support there. And uh, you know, after a while, you're not you don't feel deprived at all. I mean, at first it was kind of hard because you go to a restaurant with friends or something like that, and you look down the menu, it's like, oh, well, there's nothing here I can eat. <laughs> and it's 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 difficult. There's there's no uh, there's no doubt. But, um, you know, once, once you have kind of committed to it and you, and you know that um, there are things that you can do, you figure out ways to kind of get around that. And it's, uh, it, you know, you won't regret it. It actually, um, you feel much better. And when your health issues clear up, you realize how much these foods have contributed to low energy, brain fog, exactly. stress. Mood, mood problems. Yes. Yeah. A lot of people don't make the connection of what they eat and how it affects to their mood, like depression, anxiety, yeah. stress in general. You know, you cannot concentrate. You have problems of memory. Or just being exhausted all the time. Exactly. I mean, that was one of the things I noticed. You know, you come home from work at night and you're just like, oh, collapse on the couch. You don't want to make dinner. You just order takeout. Like, you just have no energy. Um, and, you know, once you make these dietary changes, I mean, it may sound like a big deal right now and like, oh, I can't possibly do that. But, you know, once you make the changes and you, ha- you have more energy and that makes making these changes even easier, you know, you have the energy to come home from work and start cooking a meal. You know, it's not that difficult to do. And another important point is do not be afraid of fats. And I say this as a heart surgeon. And I have here a little review of an article that is going to be published in the next issue of the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. Now, this study followed more than 58,000 Japanese adults over a 14-year period and assessed the relationship between their saturated fat intake and risk death from a variety of cardiovascular diseases. Now, cardiovascular disease is basically an umbrella term that essentially covers stroke condition, stroke or any conditions related to heart disease or vascular disease, arterial disease, atherosclerosis, you know, peripheral artery disease, heart attacks, angina, etc. Now, what is interesting is that this study linked higher saturated fat intake with reduced risk of cardiovascular disease, reduced risk. And that's a little bit shocking because a lot of people say, oh, saturated fat equals atherosclerosis disease. They say this as a heart surgeon. Your problem is not saturated fat. Problem, you know, you can, you can search the root of the problem in grains, in dairy, in processed foods, and a high intake of sugar, you know, fructose converts into fat in our bodies. And, um, 
so yeah, this study, it, you know, it's published in the mainstream uh, scientific journal, the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. And, um, and basically, according to the findings of the authors of this article, if the Japanese were to increase their saturated fat intake, heart disease deaths would stay the same, stroke deaths would go down, and so would deaths due to vascular disease overall. So that's, that's you know, the whole it, it, that that doesn't surprise me that they're having those findings. Actually, what surprises me that it's actually getting published in a mainstream journal. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah, because you know the the saturated fats have been demonized for the last you know half century or even longer actually. Um, in the 1950s, there was a researcher named Ansel Keys who um, he did something. It's a famous study now called the Seven Countries Study. And what he did was he related uh, heart disease with uh, saturated fat consumption in, in seven different countries. Uh -huh. So he looked at all these different countries and, you know, he saw a relationship. The more saturated fat that people ate, the uh, higher the heart disease rates. Well, unfortunately, he actually started off with 22 countries, the data for 22 countries. And uh, he just kind of threw out the data that didn't conform to his hypothesis. Um, this is otherwise known as really bad science. Um, so basically, you know, this is what started off the whole saturated fat, uh, um, the lipid hypothesis, as, as it has come to be uh, called that, you know, the idea that, you know, you eat saturated fat, um, saturated fat causes your uh, cholesterol to go up, um, and then cholesterol clogs your veins. And, you know, each step in that hypothesis is wrong, you know. Um, so... Uh, you know, th this, this one study, you know, it's Ansel Keys was made man of, uh, man of the year by Time magazine in, uh, I think it was like 1955 or something like that. And, you know, that there was a big push, um, to accept this lipid hypothesis and really get it out to everybody. And it, we've basically all been brainwashed with it. There's not a person on the street that you could find right now who would actually, uh, tell you that saturated fats are beneficial to health. Uh, it's been so widespread. Fat is very important to our health. It basically, fat constitutes all the membranes of your all your cells of your body. A high percentage of the uh, of our brains are made out of fat, and also fat is precursor for hormones. The problem is the difference between bad fats and good fats, and that's what most people, you know, are misinformed. People don't know what are bad fats. Yeah, and I mean the. You know that the whole um, lipid hypothesis has been uh, pushing people away from saturated fats and uh, towards uh, vegetable oils instead. So you know you have uh, instead of um, eating these you know animal fats or you know natural saturated fats from vegetables like coconut um, like coconut oil, palm oil, palm oil exactly or um you know from animal fats like butter or ghee lard yeah lard you know all the, all the traditional fats that our grandparents were cooking with basically um that Those. were you know before heart disease was really a problem yes. oddly enough you know we're all uh, switching to these vegetable oils now and uh and these vegetable oils you know all the all the the plastic bottles you see lining your grocery store shelves and stuff like that the corn oil the, the sunflower oil, the safflower oil, all these oils are actually quite damaging. Um, we are not, I mean, those, those are polyunsaturated fats, and, you know, I won't go into too much detail here. But now that you science. mentioned plastic, you know, processed vegetable oil is like a one step away from actually being a plastic. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, these, these oils are not, you know, they're, they're more often than not, they're rancid. Um, they cause damage when you consume them. Um, the, it, it's really it, they're not fit for human consumption. I wouldn't oil my bike chain with them, to be perfectly honest. Like they're just they're just they're terrible things. And uh, you know this is what we've all been pushed towards. And you know we and they they demonize butter, so they make these spreads by hydrogenating uh, you know a vegetable oil, turning it all into like you know hydrogenated fats, trans fats, all these you know just just this garbage. And we've all been like clogging ourselves with this stuff and like clogging our, you know, our, our arteries and, and whatever else. I mean, these are the damaging fats, not the saturated fats. If you eat plastic, your body will turn into plastic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> big surprise. You eat, <laughs> you are what you eat, basically. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, the trans fats that, that are found so often in, uh, in, in these processed foods. Um, th these are the real, like, damaging fats. You know, you think about the fact um, that your, your cells are, are made up of these fats. The cell walls are all made up of fats. Well, you mean your body knows what to do with, 
you know, natural fats and it incorporates them into the, uh, the cell walls. It doesn't know what to do with these trans fats exactly. and it puts them in those cell walls as well. And then your cell walls end up not functioning properly. Then nutrients can't get into your cells. It causes inflammation in your body. Yeah. Behind yeah. You know, inflammation can... behind all chronic diseases, all yeah. disease, inflammation. I mean, it, it short circuits the communication that happens in your body, the necessary communication. Um, and it just leads to degrading health. Um, so, you know, Eat the right fat. Don't be afraid of the of the saturated fats. Those are those are the good ones. So a recapitulation: What are good fats, or what can we use for cooking? Oh, okay. Um, well, uh, ideally, the, the most stable fats are the saturated fats. So um, the ones that are the most stable to heat. So that would include lard, beef tallow, uh, butter, ghee, uh, coconut oil, palm oil. These are the, um, and duck fat. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Can't forget that one. Duck fat as well. You know, the French, um, the French have been eating, uh, pounds and pounds of duck fat, like for as long as you can remember. And we all know that the French have a lower, uh, incidence of heart disease than, uh, North Americans do. Mm -hmm. Everybody's like, oh, the French paradox, the French paradox. Why are these French people not having, uh, more heart disease than us when they eat way more saturated fat? Well, that's why. It's because they're eating saturated fat. They're not eating these fake fats. They're not eating vegetable oil or anything they're they're frying their food in duck fat and lard and like and it's not necessarily about the wine as they will no. make, want us to believe because they have higher percentages of liver disease yeah exactly. much more than the americans alcohol yeah alcohol <laughs> is not the answer yeah the, the, the whole idea that you know they've isolated that uh that that one um high antioxidant um found in red wine called resveratrol uh resveratrol uh -huh. um you know, the, the whole idea that resveratrol is what's preventing all this heart disease, you have to, like, consume tons of res resveratrol to have an effect that they're, that they're saying that it has. So, Not I mean, your average glass of wine. <laughs> no, no, it's not a glass of wine with dinner that's, that's uh, helping people. The Sardinian diet that everybody was freaking out over a little while ago was like, it was like a Mediterranean-style diet. And one of the things that they were, were saying is they have a, a, a very uh, resveratrol-rich wine that they tend to drink there. It's a very dark wine. So everybody's scrambling to get their hands on this wine. You know? Oh, this is going to solve my heart disease problem. It, it, it's, it's so ridiculous. I mean, just stop eating the bad fat. <laughs> yeah, people do not drink alcohol either because the liver is working overtime to try to detox all the toxicity that we're exposed to nowadays. And this could be a theme for another podcast because it's quite a subject with all the mercury toxicity, the Gulf oil spill, basically all the toxicity that we're exposed on a daily basis in our world. Yeah. Do not overtax your liver by drinking more alcohol. Yeah, you're not you're not solving any problems. Don't don't believe the hype on the red wine. <laughs> Other than saturated fat, as we just um, talked about it, there is also fish oil. Mm. Omega-3s, polyunsaturated fats like olive oil, they're very good for your health. And uh, they're not ideal for cooking. They are not as stable as saturated fat, but they're good oils. Just, you know, can you talk a little bit about the importance of fish oil in our health? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so the polyunsaturated oils are, um, there, there's, there's two that are uh, essential um, fats. And that's the uh, omega-3s and the omega-6s. And um, unfortunately, uh, the, the modern Western diet is um, extremely high in omega-6 fats. And you tend to find those in the seed oils, um, you know, corn oil, uh, sunflower oil, the ones I was mentioning before, the ones you tend to find in the plastic bottles. Um, and they, they tend to actually remove uh, the omega-3 fats from there because they're so um, unstable and they'll go rancid so much faster. So um, rather than sell an oil that'll go bad very quickly, they uh, remove all the, the, the healthy omega-3s from that and, uh, and, and just sell you an omega-6 oil so it won't go rancid as fast. Now, ironically, these fats are very uh, unstable and should never be heated, <laughs> but yet they're selling them for cooking. Now, uh, what has been found is that actually the ratio of omega-3 to omega-6 fats in the body is extremely important. And if you have too many omega-6s versus omega-3s, uh, it can lead to inflammatory conditions. Um, it, it can lead to just all sorts of problems. And uh, while the ratio, there's some debate as to what the ratio to, should be. Um, 
uh, Udo Erasmus wrote in his book uh, about 20 years ago called uh, Fats That Heal, Fats That Kill, uh, that you probably want about three times uh, omega-3. So the ratio should be uh, omega-6 um, to omega-3 should be 3 to 1. So three times as much omega-6 as omega-3. Um, I've read more recently that people have found that it may actually be a 1 to 1 ratio that you're looking for. Now, compare this to the average uh, North American who's eating these uh, these vegetable oils and stuff has more like 30 to 1 uh, type uh, ratio. So it's just so out of whack. And you can see it. I mean, everybody's walking around inflamed. Um, obesity is an inflammation uh, uh, condition. Um, so, I mean, yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, these, these fats are essential. Like, you do need to get them from outside sources. Um, in other words, we can't make these fats from other fats. Uh, so you do need to get them from outside sources. Um, but if you're getting so much omega-6 and not enough omega-3, then that's going to lead to problems as well. So ideally what needs to be done um, when you first kind of start down this road to uh, getting your health back on your feet um, is to supplement with fish oil. Yes. Um, fish oil is a, is a form of omega-3 that um, the body can use right away. Um, it has it, there's, there's two types called uh, DHA and EPA, um, and I won't pronounce what those stand for because they're big, long, confusing terms, So, um, and I'll probably mispronounce them. So um, anyway, DHA and EPA found in fish oil um, are the, the, the types of uh, fats that your body can use right away. Now, you can also find uh, omega-3s in some seeds, like flax seeds and uh, chia seeds, a few other places as well. Um, but your body does have to convert those omega-3s to DHA and uh, EPA. So ideally you're taking in fish oil um, and maybe flax oil as well just to, to as kind of a backup. Um, but, you know, you know, vegetarians who, who uh, insist on not uh, taking anything from an animal product and are not taking in fish oil, you have to realize that you're 100% relying on your body being able to make that conversion um, from the flax oil. So the type of fat in uh, flax oil is called ALA, um, alpha-linolenic uh, alpha acid. Um, and so you're relying that your body is able to convert the ALA to EPA and DHA. Um, and not everybody can do it that well. Yeah. Some people cannot make that conversion. And yeah. They will have a chronic deficiency of these important fats. Yeah. So... I, I guess what I'm saying is don't depend entirely on, on seeds um, to be able to get your omega-3s. Um, you know, because you, you, you can see people who are taking flax oil daily and they still are showing signs of omega-3 deficiency. It can be from depression to chronic diseases in the skin like psoriasis. And um, it can be omega-3s, you know, are really very important for our health. Uh, deficiency in omega-3s, it is linked also with chronic diseases as well. So we go again about the importance of healthy fats in our diet. And uh, another important thing that I want to mention is that a higher intake of fat, it stimulates your vagus nerve. Now, the vagus nerve, it's very important because it's the heart of your anti-stress system of your nervous system that is anti-stress. It is also anti-inflammatory. It's um, The vagus nerve is the heart also of an anti-inflammatory pathway in your in our bodies. And um, the reason I mention this as well is because we have a program, a program that is relaxing, anti-stress, rejuvenating, and it's called areolus. And areolus basically stimulates the vagus nerve naturally with breathing and meditation and it helps us to um, regain our health. It's also therapeutic but preventive and it has a cumulative beneficial effect. Stimulating the vagus nerve is very important. We can do it with a diet high in fat but we can also do it through this program, Areolis. It's available at eebreathe.org. Yeah, and I'd like to mention that um, we were just at the first international Areolis conference where we ate plenty of saturated fat <laughs> and buckwheat pancakes. Vegetables as well. <laughs> and vegetables as well. And we learned with over 70 people about the importance of stimulating the vagus nerve. And we practiced the program together and everyone left feeling rejuvenated, healthy, and 
ready to deal with the stresses of daily life. It was a great success. It was an amazing experience, like, you know, an amazing group therapy, like <laughs> never seen before. Yeah, it was pretty incredible. Yeah, it was fantastic. I feel great. I got to eat lots of bacon, so all you bacon lovers. <laughs> <laughs> and homemade sausage. We have a cooking video of homemade sausage as well. <laughs> we'll make sure to post the links to everybody who's interested in checking out our cooking videos. And um, for those interested in getting the magazine, it's, it, it is available at the .connectormagazine.org. And the Aerialist program is available at eebrief.com or .org. And um, thanks to all our listeners for, for being with us tonight. And thanks to uh, Dave, Erica, and Douglas. <laughs> <laughs> and Douglas for being here tonight at Sat.net podcasts. And until the next time, aloha. Ahui ho. Good night. Bye bye.